Welcome to the Fast Lane. Nick Miles is our auto expert. So drop it into gear. You've got a green flag. Here's Nick. Well, welcome to our auto expert. I am Nick Miles. Of course, you just heard that in the liner. Uh, um, I have Mark with me who is in charge of marketing for um, for Mustang and for, for some segments of Ford. And we're here on the Mustang Bullet launch. Now, this is a tough one because this car is so iconic that if Ford screwed this car up, they would never be forgiven by not only millions of Mustang fans around the world as the number one selling sports car in the world, but by millions of bullet fans and movie fans of Steve McQueen. So the first question, Mark, is what was going through marketing's head when this idea was presented? <laughs> so with Mustang and not just bullet, but all of the famous nameplates that we have, there's always this weight and responsibility that comes along with producing a car like this. And the team feels it, they know they have a responsibility to the fans, and we know it's a lot of pressure to get it right. But one thing that we're very confident in is we have enough people that work on the program that are just diehard Mustang fans to begin with. So we're confident that we can get it right. And so with this particular car, looking at the shape when we redid the car in 15 and then revised it in 18, everybody sort of looked at themselves and said, the shape really lends itself to that 68 Fastback. And what more iconic 68 Fastback is there than the Highland Green version that was in the movie Bullet? So not all, but most people that worked on this car probably wouldn't have been born when the movie came out. The we good news is we have a good mix. We have some younger people on the on the on the program that um, may have not actually seen the movie, and then there are several people on the program that have been there for a long time that have seen the movie that actually went to it as a kid and saw it. But um, regardless if you were there at the beginning or if you have never seen the movie, there's that healthy respect for that car chase scene. And there's a lot of people out there that they may never seen the full movie all the way through from beginning to end, but they know the chase scene. They love the chase scene. It's the most iconic chase scene out there. And, and that's really what this car is all about is, is being able to drive fast um, and just really having a good time. You, as a, as a marketing team, creating the ambiance and relating this car back to the original movie, not just in simple things like making sure the colors it was available in is, it's available in, I've seen it in black and then the green original from the movie. Uh, so you really only have those, we've only had those two choices today. Uh, the other things are, for instance, the marketing around it. I mean, even at the auto show, in, when you announced the vehicle, you gave people the opportunity to insert themselves into the bullet movie. So this wasn't just an immersion in a product which is iconic with American moviegoers and people that grew up in the 60s. This is now, uh, you're weaving people into this this iconic memory of an amazing car. Well, and this car is more about just the nuts and bolts. It's about the story. It's pop culture. It's Americana. And that's really what the team wanted to bring to life is when you get in this car and you drive it and you, you push the button and the car roars to life and you hear the exhaust, you do feel a little bit like Steve McQueen driving through the streets of San Francisco. And we want to bring that to life. So whether it's the auto show, um, we had the original there that he drove in the movie, or like you mentioned, cutting yourself into that particular scene where you're driving the car because um, we've had enough people get in the vehicle and drive it and, and hear the sound it makes and as soon as they get out they just have this big grin on their face and it, it transports them to another world and half of them think that they're Steve McQueen and that's a good thing it really kind of brings about that that magic feeling you get and that's, that's what making Mustangs is all about now the the 68 the fastback 
um, there was three cars. There was the, the regular, there was the convertible, and then there was the fastback. The fastback really summed up for me the beginning of the 70s because even though it was 68, it was iconically the beginning of the much more of the corduroy jacket that Steve McQueen won in, uh, you know, wore in the movie. It was the beginning of the sort of the, the looser waist and higher waistband. It was the beginning of the polo neck, you know, the, all the things that we remind ourselves about the late 60s, early 70s were woven into this car, into the movie, and you've managed to weave those into the launch of the vehicle. It, again, it's about embracing the history knowing where you come from but at the same time not being completely beholden to it and so when this car was done we had to make sure it had those cues to the original um, on the front of the car there's the slight chrome accents around the grill on the side there's those small chrome accents around the window but yet it needs to look modern it needs to look fresh um, and, and that was the intent you know you get in the car and it's got a fully digital 12 inch cluster as standard um, obviously Steve didn't have that back in, in the 60s um, but it's about weaving in the modern with the historical um, and hopefully maybe setting trends in the future like you know the corduroy jackets in, in the 70s right? they're making a big comeback I noticed that uh, one of the things that was important was putting the uh, the cue ball uh, shifter knob in there and that's something that McQueen was very insistent about out when they put the the movie together so for him it was a in you, a lot of things were very specific but you can't build a car like the you had in 1968 but you've managed to weave in enough with this car to make it feel like it's retro yeah there's the little touches of retro like you mentioned the cue ball shifter if you look at the pattern of the seats um that particular so pattern is very reminiscent of some of the the mustangs from from the late 60s so it's about bringing in some of those retro pieces but um at the same time you mentioned Steve wanting the car a certain way. He was into motorsports. He wanted to, to to make the car better, right? They changed the suspension out of it. They, they hopped up the engine and made it faster. Still the same kinds of things that the team does today on, on our cars, just in different ways. Um, so now today, we put a brand new intake manifold on it, right? New throttle body. We let it breathe better. We put a new exhaust system on it. Um, back then, you know, that particular car is definitely louder than an average 68 Fastback because of what he wanted to get across in the movie. And you look at the 19 today, and it's got a unique exhaust system to it that sounds nothing like anything else we have in the lineup. That has got its own character, and it's definitely louder than the other vehicles. And that's really important. So the team's trying to live by that same motto that, that he used, that Steve used in the in the movie for 1968. We're in San Francisco. We're uh, talking to Mark, who is in charge of marketing for uh, the new Bullet from from Mustang. Um, there's something special, um, and Carl can get into a lot of the engineering behind it, but we know from previous generation bullets that the customers that bought the, either the 01 or the 08, the exhaust sound being unique is such a critical piece to what makes a bullet car special. And the team worked really hard on that. They knew they needed a signature sound in that, in that car, and it's got more burble to it. It's got a, a deeper kind of tone to it. And it, like you said, it's something that, that makes you smile, it's special, um, and that is really core of, of what makes this, this car a bullet, and, and the team really delivered in spades for that. A great car, and uh, we may be lucky enough to insert some sounds of the car in, in the show. More on the Mustang Bullet to come. I'm Nick Myers. Keep listening. More of Our Auto Expert with Nick Myers is coming up. 
questions and you're off. Back to our auto expert with Nick Miles. Uh, welcome back to San Francisco, talking about the brand new Mustang Bullet, which has uh, just been launched here. We got to drive it today. Now, one man that had a huge weight to carry on his shoulders was uh, Daryl. You are um, one of the design team uh, who worked on the car. But Daryl, here's the problem with his car. If you walked away and it didn't look and feel like the original Bullet, You'd have had some trouble on your hands. Yeah, people would have been pissed off, <laughs> myself included. <laughs> exactly. So the original car was so iconic in the movie, and it's so consistent with what Steve McQueen was in the movie. So, in you know, as chief designer in Mustang, we do a lot of different cars for Mustang. So we do everything from your base four-cylinder Mustang all the way up to GT350. A lot of them have a lot of stuff that our customers expect: stripes, wheels, um, a lot of different accents. A lot of people like scoops, a lot of people like spoilers, you know, deck lid spoilers and splitters and all of this kind of stuff. The Bullet Mustang, because of what Steve McQueen had done in the movie, is a very, very minimalistic kind of a Mustang. It's almost the designer Mustang. It is devoid of badges. It is devoid of spoilers. It is devoid of scoops. It doesn't scream at you. It is the car that has got this kind of understated elegance about it um, and is effortless cool as Steve McQueen was in a movie. It's almost harder to design something that's complex but not complicated, right? Um, yeah, when you do simpler things, everything becomes more important. So the simpler the design, every line, every detail uh, jumps out more because you're looking for more. So, you know, when you do cars that have a lot of stuff going on, a lot of surface development and a lot of activity, it's easy to get lost. People don't know what to look at. When you do a very simple, clean design, everything becomes amplified. Everything is more important. I noticed that uh, the body lines on this car seem to be much more extenuated than, than perhaps on the 5 liter, but that, that that's just the optical illusion of making the car simpler, right? It is the optical illusion. So when we did the 15 car, and we know we've got to do this um, myriad of variations on Mustang for our customer base, so we knew in the back of our minds that there was a movie called um, Bullet way back when, and there would be a 50th anniversary, and we would most likely do a Bullet rendition of that car. So we did keep that in our minds. So, um, you know, we've got to do it from a standpoint of knowing that we're going to do that, all the way up to GT350, which is very overt, very over-the-top, a very track-focused car. When you become the head of design for a, you know, a certain line of car, or you become one of the executives of design, one of the basic things that you do as a designer disappears, and that's have drawing time. Do you still have drawing time? <laughs> I do, um, you know, napkin sketches and, and all of that sort of thing. So I've got, we've got a really good team. So um, it's your ability to communicate as a leader with your team and get them to do exactly and understand what you're trying to do. We had a young design team on this program, so the first thing I had to do was to actually go out and rent the movie Bullet and watch the movie because a lot of them didn't know what the movie was, who Steve McQueen was, and so we had to kind of indoctrinate them in, in what this was all about. Did people start showing up to work in corduroy jackets? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. A lot of, lot of tennis shoes and, uh, you know, uh, graphic t-shirts and all of that sort of thing. But a lot of people understood and recognized the, uh, the essence of what Steve McQueen was and how cool he was, just in how minimalistic he was. I noticed... Uh, 
talking to designers and and one of my favorite group of uh, car manufacturing uh, clusters to talk to are designers that sometimes some of the best ideas sometimes some of the most successful ideas sometimes some of the most iconic ideas come out of the strangest of places and I can name a few things that I'm talking about for instance one of the most iconic sports cars of the century was designed looking down on it from above or um, one of the uh, guys who designed a four-door sports car that uh, was really changed the brand away did it during his interview on a napkin do you find that that that's the moments that really make a difference to the design of a car yeah designers get inspiration at all different times normally with a glass of wine and a, which is why there's a lot of napkin sketches done <laughs> um, yeah it, you know it, it it creativity knows no bounds and it strikes when it strikes and there are there's inspiration all around so designers take everything in everything we look at is is registered in our mind and everything uh, has an impact on how we feel and ultimately what we're trying to do is create a feeling so our cars and what we design has got to put people in the right frame of mind and convey that feeling and give people that you know, that essence of what the vehicle wants to be one of the challenges I think in designing a classic is not to design yourself into a hole like if you just take the car and you redraw the lines you end up in trouble don't you so where do you actually begin you take a classic car you take a car that changed the generation you take a car that was the first of its kind to be in any kind of I and mean, we heard already tonight during some of the presentations that there was nothing like this car before it came along there was nothing like the bullet and especially the chase scene in the movie there was nothing like that chase scene in the movie so you're saddled with a generation of dreams that now you have to create. So where do you start? Yeah, so I mean the mantra is don't screw it up. I mean, you know. <laughs> but it's uh, not the mantra with everything every day, right? Number one. Well, you know, when you, when you, so, I mean the movie was iconic. The movie didn't become iconic for a number of years, you know, and the, and, and and I think Steve McQueen developing his, his body of work and the Mustang as an integral part of that movie, um, you know, it took a while for that to become such an icon that it was like, don't screw it up. But for us, it was, um, it's important that we recognize the importance of that and the simplicity of that and not try to overthink it, that you really, really honor what Steve McQueen did. And if you think about Steve in the movie, you know, he didn't have a lot of lines. And Steve was, um, there was a lot of just his gestures in the movie and how he carried himself as an actor and how he dressed and the car he drove and the fact that it was a 68 Mustang without any badges on it that was slightly modified, but it was a green Mustang, you know? So how do you make a green Mustang really cool, you know? Um, it became so cool. How do, how do you make it really it cool? It became cool because Steve made it cool, you know? I mean, that chase scene is so iconic because it was so authentic and it was so real. And there was no music during the chase scene. It was just the car and it was just the sound of the car and the look of the car. And that's what, that's what resonated with people. And that's what resonates with a certain number of our Mustang buyers that just want that really ultra-clean, you know, effortlessly cool, sexy Mustang that doesn't have to scream at you. It doesn't have scoops. It doesn't have stripes. It's not overtly loud. It, you know, it's, it's really flying a little bit under the radar, but people know it's cool. When you see it, you know it's cool. When you look at 
the original Fastback, it had the slats in the rear quarter panels. How do you keep that idea, keep that original sort of Fastback look, but delete? Press delete on some of the options that just aren't practically possible? Yeah, it's true. So it needs to be updated. So over the years, Mustang has had hits or misses. And so when we were doing the 2015 car, I took a look at the history of Mustang and said, where, where were we successful and where did we deviate? And we had deviated in a number of years where people still liked the car, but it wasn't true to what a Mustang was. So when we did the 15 car, we changed the DLO of the car, which is a side window graphic. So if you look at the 2014 and previous cars, they had a separate window back there. DLO stands for Daylight Opening. Daylight Opening, right, which is a side window graphic. So we had a separate quarter window behind the the driver's window, if you will. And we combined that in the 2015 car into a single graphic. So in order to do what Steve McQueen's car had in 1968 and put those louvers on, you'd have to put fake louvers over the glass and which is a fake item which I detest I don't like the fake items and fake scoops and all of that stuff so we didn't do it people don't miss it we have the chrome DLO you've got the chrome around the grill you've got the black grill you've got no badges you've got the black five-spoke wheels there's enough of that car to carry through that make it relevant and carry it forward do you I have to be shown a lot of times I, I my brain doesn't recognize it's there but I feel the emotion that it was supposed to be you know create so for instance with the chrome around the grill in the original 1968 Mustang and the chrome around the grill in this one I didn't recognize that that's what it was but I recognized the grill so do you find yourself explaining a lot of times what you actually did to make people feel the way they feel if if we are successful in design, we don't have to explain it. Our auto expert continues. Here's your host, Nick Miles. Welcome back to Our Auto Expert. I'm Nick Miles. Uh, we are rotating through some of the people who are responsible for the brand new Bullet Ford Mustang Bullet, which is becoming available now in showrooms. A limited run for a couple of years. If you want one, uh, you should run out and at least test drive it as soon as possible. Uh, modeled off the Bullet from the movie. Tom, uh, your responsibility was probably the most important with this car because you had to make it feel and sound like a Mustang, but at the same time, resemble the driving of, of the original. Well, first off, a huge team, and I'd say I'm not even close to the most important, but really the, the car has to have a great attitude. It's got to just feel like it's it's something special. It's, it's cool, but as always, we want to make the car fun. So, yeah. So from your department, what do you think is the biggest success with this car? Well, from, I mean, from just me looking at the car, the car immediately grabs people's attention. So the design team did an awesome, you know, they did a great job on it. From my side, which is a little bit more of the engineering side, the fact that we were able to get 20 horsepower out of the engine and then give it... More, more than the... More, more than the 20, five yeah, yeah, just to be clear, 20 horsepower more than the base 5 liter. And we did that by just letting the car breathe 
breathe better. And then it, it sounds even as good as the bass GT sounds. This sounds better. It just has it. There's a burble that you can hear in it. You just hear a little bit lower. So right when you start it up and, and when you're driving it, and I think you drove it today, you just feel it's it's like you feel the car in you when you're driving. And and it's it's just by a few things, but just concentrating on those, it it really gives you a great experience. All right. So I'm gonna put you on the spot with two questions here. How many exhausts did you have to go through before you found this amazing sound? Well, actually, relative, we went through a lot of exhausts for 18. So we had some on the shelf that we wanted to do. And what we actually ended up doing was it, it's it's a, a adjustable a exhaust, infinitely adjustable. So really what we all, all we did was tune it. So there's a valve in there and that valve goes uh, based on engine speed, goes based on uh, vehicle speed, the load, and that's what we tuned. We really didn't change any of the hardware. Um, let's. I'm going to put you on the spot here with with something about Mustang. So previously, until uh, I think last year, the five liter Mustang wasn't actually a five liter until you changed uh, some very small item in it, which actually managed to make the engine a, a real five liter. Well, I mean, if, you, if you're talking before, it was it was 4.95, right. which rounds up to 5. And now, and what we did is we took off the, the steel liners that were in the bores, and and we actually are now 5.04, which rounds down. So we're, we're above 5. We're a 5.0. You're giving back now. Yeah, we're, so, and that helped. That's why we went from 435 up to 460, you know, and 400 up to 420 foot-pounds was, I mean, displacement is is a big deal and then on this car we made it breathe better and of course the more air you can get in there the more fuel you have and the more power you get uh, when you took this car out when you guys got it right and you took it out on the track before we got to see it before we got to drive it before it was unveiled were you happy was, was this exactly what you had seen on the drawing board from day one yeah I think I mean First off, it, again, it's the feel. You got to get the feel. So the looks right away from the front, you see it. From the side, you see it. From the back, you see it. When you open the door, you see it. When you sit in it, you see it. So you're seeing it all. Then when you start it up, it's got active exhaust, and that sound just hits you, boom. So you're right there. And then if you, you know, you grab the shifter, you've got that white cue ball. You put it in first. It's it's got a. I think you know it has rev match downshifting. So, but once you start the acceleration it just it, it accelerates and you can feel the difference between a regular GT it's it's all 20 horsepower but you can feel it it's like a quick quick car and then you've got that sound reinforcement there so and the ride you know with Magna ride available it just it gives you the best of, of everything it's, it's I, I will tell you that driving through the tunnels around San Francisco we may have put it in neutral and floored it a few times just to get that amazing exhaust sound. yeah what well, I mean that's part of what this is is, is letting people have fun with it and get to feel and hear what they want to hear. And, and I mean, honestly, I think it, it, it's, a, it's a fantastic sounding exhaust. And, and you see everyone who hears it, it it's just something I don't, it, it like goes, it, it really goes, cuts right into you. You feel it. Uh, Tom, thank you for talking to us about the new uh, the Mustang Bullet. Um, and I think 
and I'm safe in saying this, you'll have no trouble selling every one that you could possibly make of these vehicles. And if there's anything to go by from the Ford employees I've been talking to today, everybody's already ordering one. So the public may get less than they had bargained for. We'll make sure everyone gets it. But thanks to thanks for you coming out and driving the car. And we, we appreciate all the listeners. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great car. And I, I'm going to tell you, like, I... I for $50,000 or under $50,000, it's an absolute uh, must-buy sports car. And I don't often say that as well. Stay tuned. More of Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles is on the way. It's Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles. As you know by now, hopefully because you've been listening to the show, we are in San Francisco for the launch of the new Bullet, which is the Mustang reminiscent, uh, modeled after, I should say, the movie from the 1960s. Uh, this vehicle um, is iconic, 50 years old now, and Ford have brought it back. But this wouldn't be a complete radio show if we didn't talk about the movie that the car is modeled after. And uh, Danny Bilstein is with us. He is uh, a professor at the University of Southern California. Your specialty is film. You're a film guy by trade. So this is probably one, and, and I had listened to your talk earlier tonight. It's, I would say, the most iconic car chase of the era, but at the same time, it's probably one of the most iconic car movies of all time. Is that is that a fair assessment? I think so. I, I think it is. Um, just look at what we're here for, right? Ford has made their third now bullet uh, car. How many cars are made based on a film or a car in a film? So the sort of the lasting quality of the film, I think, is apparent in this in these cars. And I think um, there's some very specific reasons of why that movie and that sequence are so memorable. Now certainly it's easy for somebody like me who was 12 years old when that movie came out. I was like primed to love it and I've loved it for 50 years and Steve McQueen was one of my favorites You know, growing up as a kid. He's just so cool. I don't know what else to say. Like the word for Steve is cool. And I, would, I can look at things about Steve about how he does so little on screen intentionally or he does really inventive little things that were just unique to him and iconic but I think it's not the car without him you know I think there's always a human factor in any narrative in any film so what I love about this whole program is that it's a story that has lived on for 50 years and that there's all this narrative quality to this Ford car that we can go buy next week <clears throat> and I'm planning on buying one, by the way, because I fell in love with that thing when I walked up here. But I'm target market, right? I mean, I'm that person who's always loved that movie. Um, and I also think this is just a really beautiful car. And go ahead. So I want to ask you some questions about the movie because yeah. I'm fascinated about several things in the movie. Some things that I've noticed and some things that I've observed. And this may be getting off of the base of a car show in a way, too. But, but it's really just about the car. This... If I if I look at the, the the chase scene and you told us tonight it's, it's twelve minutes and I, I was I, I I didn't even feel like it was that long it was it felt like well, it was I over you about five minutes of right it. but it felt like it was over way too soon like yeah. I, I wanted to see more but there's 
you know, a lot of times you see car, car scenes, and, and I'm going to ask you in a minute about some of the modern tricks that were not used in this movie, but uh, a lot of times you see car scenes and you go, that one moment where this happened or that happened, but there isn't anything like that in this movie because it's continuous. The action is, is linear, and it starts at the beginning and it's the same the whole way through but yet there isn't a satisfaction point there's and often in movies there's a satisfaction point with something in the yeah i knew he was going to make that jump uh. but it's it's like it's constant the action is constant there's it doesn't go up and down i mean every every corner every jump it's it's an absolute constant action scene. You know that's a really interesting point you made when you said it doesn't go up and down because one of the sort of tenets of a good action sequence is rhythm, right? Is you have to go from intensity and then get quiet so you can go back to intensity because if you stay intense the whole time it becomes numbing and you just check out. Um, as you were saying this, I was thinking about, you know, they laid out a route and they laid out <clears throat> how they wanted this these cars to chase and literally it was as a writer which I am they took it in a very re reality was the key of this film that was the X or that was the theme that they were all pushing for let's make a realistic cop movie with a realistic car chase with realistic physical action um, I think that sense of realism and that the cars are just driving hard, but they're constantly related to each other. They're usually close. One car has a gun, right? Steve McQueen's car, he's not pulling a gun. That guy's got a shotgun, the bad guy. And the way they do the shotgun sequence is pretty interesting at 100 miles an hour at the end, the second half of the chase sequence on the highway. But I really think, and I've, I've watched this a lot lately because of this event, um, it is there are it's not very cutty there are not they intentionally did not use camera tricks because in those days you would undercrank the camera you know you shoot less expose less frames play it back at 24 things speed up you've seen it in old movies right you've seen the car chase sequence where all of a sudden it goes zip like that there's only one shot in that movie where they did it it's when he's when he made that mistake missed the corner and is backing up which is now a famous shot because he got right into camera and it looks great and the car smokes when it goes away they used a little bit of an undercrank there there's no other undercrank in the whole sequence there are no jump ramps there are no um they're not doing the old gag where they bust through the trash cans or they have the stunt people leaping out of the way they really wanted to play it as what if these two cars are cat and mouse chasing and just driving hard in san francisco and this came from people who were motorsports people that is a big part of why it is the way it is because of steve mcqueen and his relationship to motorsports and peter yates the director and his relationship to motorsports peter yates the director was the general manager of sterling moss's driving team in the uk so the there doesn't seem like an obvious choice to direct this movie well it does in a certain way if you think about they wanted to get realistic and they wanted the automotive action to be particularly realistic there was all this respect for reality that went on there was you know the high-speed camera car that they had that they brought in for this film they could high speed we're talking about the speed of the car and all the cameras the car, yeah. right the car because to get a camera car that's stable that um, can go that fast as a custom rig and the camera car in this looks to me to be uh, some kind of it looks like one of the old Can-Am kind of uh, racer bodies and uh, just built custom and low like too, it's really low. low 
very low. And what's amazing is the lack of safety features in 1968. They yes. weren't even wearing helmets. So you'll have to <laughs> help me walk the listeners through this, but there is a platform at the front of the vehicle, which they built on, which has a seat on it for a cameraman, right? Right. So There's a cameraman just hanging on the front of the right. car. So it's like a, a piece of scaffolding or several pieces of scaffolding with like a wooden slap yeah, floor. Yeah, speed rail. And it, yeah. Speed rail and wood, and he's just sitting there, but he's not... You don't see a big rig. You don't see a five-point belt. You don't see even a helmet. Right. It's, it's basically like a kid's stroller that goes 100 miles an hour without, without the kid being belted in. And so at that point is, I just look at the picture, and, and you didn't need to point it out, although you fairly did to all of us, and like, look at this guy. He's sitting in the front of this vehicle that you told us goes 100 miles an hour. What happens if that guy hits a rock or a curb? A curb. What happens if he hits a curb? Well, that cameraman is gone. And he's chasing two other cars, right. right, that are also going at 100 miles an hour. So it's... But, you know, I will tell you that, and, and having worked in that era, nobody was thinking about how dangerous it is. They were always thinking about getting the shot. It's always about getting the shot. And that guy who's on the front of that camera car... His eye is to the eyepiece. He's just worried about keeping those two cars in frame. He's not thinking about his safety. He can't see anything except keeping those two cars in frame, as Steve McQueen, who was driving at that point in the straightaway stuff, and um, the stunt driver are banging cars. I mean, it's pretty wild. I, I look at that. And I also think where the modern equivalent to this, right now, in a chase scene, if you were doing a chase scene that didn't involve some kind of digital uh, mastery, but if you're doing a real chase scene of this caliber, the the director of photography is probably going to be sitting in a truck somewhere looking at a screen which is being beamed back from the front of a well, car. Well, it's not that bad. We always like to get on the camera car. So the DP, the director... You're, and even the script supervisor, you're always on the camera car. The camera cars now, the high-speed camera cars now, are very sophisticated, including with, um, you know, a complete computer-controlled arms that can swing off the cars. And you get some of those crazy shots. But they are still, what's great about those camera, the high-speed camera cars, um, they have to be high-performance vehicles. They have to be very stable, and the driver's got to be a great driver, and it's all part of the action sequence. Often when they film me on a track, when we're doing a TV piece, they'll have a, like a BMW 7 Series, you know, as a performance version with this long arm on the back, and although I'm traveling around the track 100 120 miles an hour the, you know these guys are in a there's four of them in a car in front and it's all there's nobody hanging out the window shooting right. no, I anymore. leave that to my personal producer <laughs> who, who does those type of things uh, let's let's talk a little bit about this movie and how it relates to um, we, we've talked bits and pieces about this scene but how it relates to the purity of of a, of a chase so you showed us a film earlier tonight which was full of tricks and and things I just that wanted to show you something modern by comparison and it was an excellent beautifully made action sequence directed by michael bay who's phenomenal and what i was really trying to show was which one do you feel in your guts and the one you feel in your guts is the one where the camera's just static and they're just driving hard and they just rip through the frame. And there is amazing stuff in the Michael Bay sequence that I showed. It's from a film called The Island. And it's really imaginative. But you're using 
using air cannons in the cars, using ramps, you're using a lot of CG, you know, there's, it's a really fun sequence, but it's fun, it doesn't feel like edge of your seat, oh my god, I'm in the car and they're driving. You know, you go past reality, you take the audience into fantasy, and they're in fantasy. And when you're in fantasy, it's sort of like, I think you said this earlier, it's more like, those beats where it's like, oh, wow, that was a cool beat. And you tell your friend, there's this car chase where the car does X. And that's what you remember. And your point was interesting. In the bullet chase, you talk about the bullet chase. It is a long, extended sequence where these cars are just pounding at each other through the streets of San Francisco. One of the things that's funny is people ask me, is it continuous? Is it real? Is that a real route? Well, of course not. You know, I've been explaining to people, as long as the car exits frame right and enters the next frame left, you can be in Michigan and you can be in California and it'll look like the same car chase scene. I was thinking the access and they come in from the right side, it blows the whole thing. So I I was thinking about that during the police, uh, during the chase, that every single time the car enters on one side of the screen, and it might do a U in front of the camera, but it still exits on the other side of the screen. And every single shot is enter, right, exit, left. And that's so exactly the way. It's, it's really important to keep the continuity that way. Now you can change the direction, and the way you do that is you have to go to neutral. You have to go to a neutral shot where the cars are coming right at the camera or directly away, and after that you can flip to a different direction. You gotta go to neutral in between. It's like gears, <laughs> right? There is so much, and I feel like we've just brushed the surface of this movie that makes a great iconic car, but I want to ask you something really important, and that is, you decided after your years in the industry, after your years of teaching, you've probably seen more chases on film than anybody in this room. In fact, I would guess more than all of us put together. Well, I made at least 79 of them in my Viper show myself, and I think I directed at least 20, so I've made a lot of those. This supports my next question. Why did you choose to buy a bullet? Because I can. No, 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 seriously, seriously. I'm a huge fan of this film. I'm a huge Steve McQueen fan. Since I was a kid... I always wanted, I always wanted like a 65 or a 66 Mustang. That's what I always really wanted, because that was like my kid car. But I walked out here, no, really, because I'm here on this event and I'm just, and I'm a huge Bullet fan. And I saw that car. I'm like the, I'm the target audience, right? I'm the target market. I walked and they had the lights on it, the green, and I was like, I was 12 again. I was like, I have to have that car. Don't go away. There's more to come with Nick Miles. Our auto expert will be right back. He's Nick Miles, and this is our auto expert. Welcome back to hour two of the show. Now, the magic of radio has allowed me to do something amazing because I was talking to you in San Francisco on the launch of the new Bullet. And because we put everything on pause for a few hours, I've now flown over to Portland, Maine, where we are test driving the brand new Dodge Hellcat Red Eye. I guess it's a Dodge Challenger Hellcat Red Eye. Um, And with me is a friend of the show. He has been driving the vehicle as well, Roman Micah from the Fast Lane Car. So, Roman, sum up maybe in a couple of sentences what you think about the new Red Eye. That's kind of the 
uh, ungodly stepchild of the demon and the Hellcat. If the two mated, you would end up with this 797 horsepower Challenger that basically has the engine out of the demon and has the kind of the stance and the uh, mentality out of the Hellcat. And it, and it does share sort of equal parts between the two, so it is made up mechanically of both parts. Yeah, and Nick, you know, good gosh, uh, to get a 800 horsepower car for let's say seventy thousand dollars. Uh, it's actually fifty nine. It's yeah. So. It's yeah. But it starts at that. Ish. Ish, Ish. Yeah. So so to get that and then not have to have like a living mechanic whose name is uh, Linguini. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, it's basically eight hundred horsepower for under a hundred thousand dollars is mind blowing. And the fact that you can take it to a Dodge dealership and have it worked on, um, you know, it's democracy at its best. It's bringing horsepower to the masses uh, and whether it can go around to turn who cares so here's an interesting thing that came up and i mentioned this to you earlier in the day uh today and that is so the demon they made three thousand three hundred of them three thousand went to buyers in the united states 300 went to buyers in canada every single one was sold uh it cost about eighty five thousand dollars plus depending on what you put on the car you could do some deletes you could do some one dollar options you could do some additions um, so let's say eighty five thousand dollars so here we have a car that started, and that's what it started at. That was the, the cheapest price. Here we have a car, and that had 840 horsepower if you put the special uh, gasoline in it. Uh, octane, full octane gasoline. If you put regular octane in, it only got 100, uh, 808 horsepower. So let's take 808 horsepower versus uh, 797, which is 11 different, but yet $26,000 difference in price. Does that seem right? Yeah, so, you know, the journalist in me wants to be precise here. So let's talk precise. So they dropped the price of the Hellcat, which is 717 horsepower now by 5,000. So Hellcat starts at 58,600 plus there's a $1,300 destination fee. So you're at 60,000 basically. Then if you want the wide body Hellcat, that's an additional $6,000 on top of that. Then if you want the red eye, which gives you the almost 800 horsepower, that's $11,000 on top of that. So you're looking at 60 plus 17, 70. 76,000, the one we were driving today, red eye was 88,000 because there's also a gas guzzler tax. You know, you got you know, like a sunroof and automatic transmission. But still, I mean, you know, for that much money to get that much horsepower just blows my mind. Uh, you drove it on the track? Did you get it? You drove it on the street. Did you get a chance to drive on the track because you were filming a lot today? You know, I leave that to, we have a race car driver, I leave that to him. Um, I don't want to be the guy who takes the car and slams it into a wall and then has the journalist here tweet his face oh, around the, the world. the footage, Roman, the footage. <laughs> yeah. No, there's nothing to be learned by me going really fast. Can I tell you a story? Yeah. So I was on the launch of the Viper, the original, and there were six of them in the world. And we were at Sears Point and it was pissing down rain, right? The bottom part of the track was completely a lake and uh, the guys at uh, FCA had kind of a come to God talk with us and they said okay we're gonna let you on the track but you know you have to be very careful because there's only six of these vipers so I get on the track and the guy next to me is you know they give you a, a co-driver who's a professional and the first thing is French and he goes uh, I used to race with Atom Senna I'm like oh good for you 
And so I get in the car, and it's like it's like you know a hurricane, and I'm terrified of the thing because it's a viper. And it's got a reputation of you know biting people in the you know what. And he's like, "Go faster, go faster." I'm like, "No, no, no. There's nothing to be learned by me going faster." And that's how I felt today. There's nothing to be learned from me, you know, taking that thing around the track and putting it in the wall. And I I did drive it around the track, and I will tell you. So there's a brand new Scat Pack version of the car as well. And we got to drive both of them around the uh, the Club Motorsports Park in New Hampshire. Uh, it's uh, it's around uh, just under a five mile track, I think, uh, maybe a little less than that. And and it's a I would say very similar to Laguna Seca in a sense too, where it has lots of elevation changes. So you're on a track where you can be coming around a blind corner, you're going up a hill, you can't see over the crest of the hill, and there's a turn at the top of the hill. There's a lot of things that could go wrong in this track, especially with the elevation changes. So I drove the red eye around the track, and that thing has so much power. Zero to sixty three point four seconds. So much power 707 pounds foot so much power to the road that the back end could creep up next to you before you knew it and what i mean by that is you turn a corner and you accelerate at the wrong time that back end's going to try and push past you and uh, and spin the car out and so i experienced that twice during the drive today and uh, you know the instructors are pretty good they'll start to tell you the second they can see you not on the right line and when you're starting to get into trouble so I nearly got into trouble a couple of times. So you may have been right, and there's not an awful lot to learn from the speed. However, when I got in the scat pack afterwards, which is considerably less horsepower, but that thing is suddenly you've had 797 horsepower when you get reduced by several hundred horsepower it's actually manageable and that was huge fun for me going around the track because i was kind of on the kiddie table at the thanksgiving dinner and i knew i couldn't get myself into too much trouble and that was the fun thing about that scat pack yeah first of all you're being kind nick it's it's a racetrack built into the side of a freaking mountain okay <laughs> all right so it's not like laguna seca where there's one corkscrew this is a racetrack on the side of a mountain so you're either going up or you're going down there's nothing in between and hey, you're absolutely right so the scat pack starts at 38,000 it's probably the most horsepower you can get for the money it's 485 when you add you know the destination it's like $40,000 uh, and it is it's a much more balanced car and basically it's a denuded Hellcat right it doesn't have that big supercharger on the top of it so it's a Hemi same as the Hellcat but they just didn't put the supercharger on and you know the scat pack has become hugely popular because uh, it's just a lot of power for a good amount of money we were just together you know like you said driving the bullet right and that's 480 horsepower and that car starts at 47 and if you get all the bells and whistles it's 53,000 here you get 485 for 40,000 yeah and a much better uh, horsepower to dollar ratio it's our auto expert with nick miles back to the show still with me roman michael from the fast lane car the fast lane truck the fast lane everything uh roman muscle cars so one of the things you do really well is trucks and you have a huge huge truck audience but you also do really well with muscle cars with just power and horsepower How, what's your what's your secret sauce what's your fairy dust to capturing this audience that's all about raw american power 
You know, uh, I think uh, we always have this editorial perspective that's the everyman, right? So I remember I was watching Top Gear, and Top Gear is, you know, by far the pinnacle of automotive, or now Grand Tour, uh, TV shows, and they were always putting cars, or are always putting cars on a pedestal, right? Clarkson's like, this is the McLaren LP, blah, 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 right? And we take the exact opposite approach. We're like, you know, it's a $70,000 or $80,000, $100,000 car, but it's got four wheels and an engine, and it's like talking to your neighbor. And so I think we do well with more kind of that, you know, everyman versus the Superman or so, supercar. So you, so you sort of talk everybody's language so they can understand, but you, you get fairly technical too. Yeah, but it's not about technical. It's just about kind of like, you know, talking to people like their neighbor as opposed to kind of, you know, talking about just how wonderful and spectacular and, you know, the technology is so, so far above anything that we can comprehend. And it isn't. You know, I had an uncle who used to say, Every time something broke, you know, man just designed it or woman just designed it. And he's right. You, anything is just basically somebody thought of it. Somebody else can report on it. And um, when you relay something like the the red eye, what are the basic things that you think the public is interested in? This car that has uh, 797 horsepower. Yeah, you know, burnout. <laughs> <laughs> that's it, right? That, that's a burnout machine. So as much tire smoke as possible, uh, as much engine note as possible. It's funny, Nick, I was uh, driving the Bullet, right? And I got stuck behind a cement truck going on this beautiful twisty road, right? You were on that road, too. And I'm like, oh, I wanna, you know, and I didn't notice it, but there was a... For me, it was a camper van. All right, yeah. There was a Tesla Model 3 behind me, a little white Tesla Model 3. And I was like, oh, I want, and then finally the road opens up. You know, you get the divided line. And so I, I like, you know, floor it. And I didn't notice it, but the Tesla was just keeping up with me passing this, right? So the Tesla is as fast as, but I'm like, yeah, but it's not as cool because that bullet just sounded magnificent, right? It's just that, that raw explosion coming through the exhaust pipe and that backfire. And the Tesla is fast, but it doesn't have that kind of, you know, make your skin just crawl in a really good way. Yeah, it's not good. I, I happened to get a phone call from uh, the, the radio station when I was actually uh, test driving the car. And they called me and they wanted to chat about a couple of things, you know. And I was in the passenger seat at the time and uh, producer Ryan was driving. And the guy said, Where, are you in a car? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm driving the, the red eye. And he goes, oh, the, the new Challenger Red Eye that was unveiled uh, at, uh, at, at um, What's New and this sort of thing in the summer. You talked about it. I said, yeah, that's it. He goes, oh, my God, I bet it sounds great. And I stuck the phone out the window, and I just had Ryan floor the car. And I could, they were, I was on speakerphone in the office, and everybody back at the station was, like, screaming. It was, and, and that's through the phone. So it's so hard to relate to people, the amazing sound. And when so many manufacturers are manufacturing, the sound inside of cars nowadays and this is just pure raw horsepower so nick you fly around the world let me ask you a question what's look driving cars right what's the best car you've driven this year that's a really tough question but i'm gonna go and say something that you probably don't expect and that is the i-pace the jaguar i-pace and it was it was for multiple different reasons, but it was probably the one car that floored me. Yeah, we were both together actually on that drive, and what floored me was when we were actually driving through, it was a stream, sort of a kind of a small river, in an About electric- 10 inches of water. In an electric car, right? We're driving through a river, or actually up a river in an electric car. That's right? when you hope the wiring was 
waterproof. Exactly, <laughs> and an electric. And you know, you've got 22-inch wheels, which are cool, but they're not great off-road. And then we, you know, pop out of the river and we're driving up the side of this big hill on a dirt road with you know not huge boulders but nevertheless you know there were changes of elevation there were big ruts and yet the car did it all and then we took it on a racetrack yeah it was pretty if, amazing if you if you'd chosen a car to do that route in the off-roady the river the fording the driving up the riverbed some of the gravel roads what vehicle would you have chosen so you saw the track land road yeah, they see a Land Rover or a Jeep, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's what you've chosen. But yet we did it in a Jaguar SUV. Yeah, it's uh, pretty amazing, and I'm, I can't wait for um, the electric cars to actually come here in serious numbers, right? Because we've, all we've had is Tesla, and Tesla does one flavor of car, and they keep doing it over and over again. So I'm really looking forward to when Mercedes gets theirs, when the e-tron gets here, and actually getting you know a choice of electric cars. And maybe then I'll be more excited by them. But right now, Tesla's like Apple. They're people who love them, and you know who you can't say a bad thing about them. But I, I'm really a big proponent of choice, and I can't wait to see when a year from now when we have choice. I have an interesting uh, observation about Dodge, and especially with the Challenger. You know, there was at some point there was the Dodge Challenger, right? And there was an RT, and there was you know there was a uh, an R, um, you know four maybe four three or four different versions you could get of the car. I can't even count how many they have available now. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a six-cylinder, right, with the Pentastar. That's got, I think, 300 horsepower. Then there's a Hemi. Then there's a Scat Pack SRT, which is the one we just talked about. Then there, and I'm going up horsepower-wise. Uh, well, there's the, a 392 two, we yeah, haven't yeah, even yeah, talked yeah. about. Yeah, 392. Uh, then there's the Hellcat. Then there's the Red Eye. And then there's a D-Man on top of all. Right, so it's and like then six, there's a wide-body version of me of several of those. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's like six different... I'm talking about choice. Oh, God. Okay. I mean, it's getting to where it's like very similar to the German manufacturers that you have one model that has six choices. So I'm going to make a prediction, dude. Yeah. All right, all right. And there's one thing that they haven't done yet. Right, so they it's the only muscle car that you can get with all wheel drive, and right now they only pair the all wheel drive with a six cylinder. Right, right it's called it used to be called the GT, I forget if it's if it's a GT now, they no, keep it's changing it's still the GT, it's a, yeah. But the so, GT now no longer will come in just all wheel drive as of this year, the GT will be uh, two wheel drive as well. So, I'm hoping maybe I'm hoping more than guessing that they actually add the all wheel drive option to one of these more powerful versions. Now, that would be incredible because the biggest issue with any of the Hellcat or Red Eyes is you can't put the, you can't, even with the bigger wide body, you cannot put the power down, right? The fastest way to launch a Hellcat or a Red Eye isn't even using launch control because it, it just overwhelms it. You have to actually put it in second and manually, right? So, you put it, if you have an automatic, you manually put it in second and then you feather the throttle and then once it actually hooks up, you slam it over to automatic and you floor it. But imagine an all-wheel drive Hellcat or Red Eye. That would be mind-blowing. Uh, and then it would also be available in the snow states. Yeah, yeah, that's another problem. <laughs> you get so 797 horsepower in the snow. <laughs> yeah, we we have, uh, so when we ordered ours, right, we ordered it in 2016. I uh, ordered it with the all-season tires, and somehow it only showed up with the three-season tires. Oh. And I was like, this is awful. I can't, and I was like, oh, I understand, because the all-seasons don't have the grip for that much power. Yeah, why would you put all-seasons on it? Uh, and especially since you don't want it in the window. The other thing is, I think that uh, putting 
to me, it's a bit strange putting all-wheel drive on something like this because you end up with a situation of where where you can't do the sort of the drifting or the burnouts unless you can disable that all-wheel drive. Yeah, but we were just driving the AMG right wagon, which yeah. which now a, that's a drift mode, right? right. So they'd have to have a drift mode. Yeah, and so does the BMW M5 that has a drift mode. So if BMW and Mercedes can do it, why can't Dodge do it? It's just you know, it's just technology you can buy. I don't think anybody's restricted, but it's kind of an interesting question to see what they would end up doing. Uh, do you think that Dodge at some point are going to remodel this car and, and come out with a new version of it? Because they've talked about taking it off of one of the Alfa Romeo platforms. Yeah, the uh, rumor is that it's going to be uh, the Julia platform, right? That's going to be the new uh, Challenger and Charger twins. Um, and uh, makes sense. I mean, this thing is, you know, an old E-Class. goes way back. They'll, they won't say that it's an E-Class, but it's basically the ride from that so yeah it needs to be lighter it needs to be you know much more crash worthy because you've got a chassis that now is probably a 20 year old technology because that's when it was designed so yeah i think they'll probably take it and make it newer and better but all hail tim caniscus who was the original president of dodge and now it's uh, steve beam you know they they have taken something that i guess was just a flavor of vanilla and they've added chocolate chips and mint chips and oreo chips and peanut you know nut butter chips they've really uh, spiced it up Expert with Nick Miles is on the way. It's our auto expert with Nick Miles. Welcome back to Our Auto Expert. I'm Nick Miles. Ryan Hennan uh, is with me. If you are unfamiliar with Ryan, he has been my uh, television producer for a couple of years and gets to go on a lot of these trips with me when I drive around the country test driving cars. Uh, Ryan is way too much of a car enthusiast. Uh, I have to sort of reel him in a lot of times because we'll be sitting in the car at five o'clock in the morning driving somewhere and I go, Oh, look at it. It's a Porsche 2729124. That was, uh, there was three of those ever built and, uh, I can tell you who the owners are. My wife calls it car Tourette's. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's actually probably pretty accurate. Yeah. She's pretty accurate when it comes to describing some of your downfalls. Me and my mom used to play this game where if cars were coming down the road, we'd guess the car just based on the headlights and the... I, I, you see, this, the funny thing is, I could do that at one point in my life, uh, but then it just my brain got full. Like, there was just, like, so many. Especially with, like, the Ford Cortinas and stuff back in England when I was growing up. I was absolutely mesmerized and really wanted the Ford Escort van thing that they had because all the, the police dog units used to drive them. They used to have little fans on the roof to keep the we dogs different cool. aspirations as a child. Yeah, I know. Well, that was like I was totally very young at that point. Did I just say totally very young? <laughs> Sound like I should be on the Kardashians. A millennial. <laughs> You're a real millennial. I was totally very young. Uh, but then I had aspirations of owning other really cool cars. I was very much into, I've always been very much into either big SUVs or big sedans. Um, to, you know, like super performance, you know, Range Rovers and that type of thing. I wasn't so much into supercars because everyone that was into super, everyone was into supercars. Like every 12 year old in my year at school had pictures of Bo Derek and supercars on their bedroom wall. And I was like, got to be slightly different. I uh, was 
took a briefcase to school, you know, that type of stuff. <laughs> this, this is different. I remember um, I used to go to school and I used to have a shirt and a tie on, um, which you didn't have to wear a tie at my school, but I wore one. But I wear it really loose, like, um, you know, yeah, what were they called? Like uh, the Scar Boys. With, you know, they used to have the chillbeers and that, and they used to have their tie really loose around their neck, and it used to be like a pencil tie. And, used to pencil, and I used to do and my teachers were always like, if you're going to wear a tie, boy, at least do it up properly. And they would, like, grab it and zip it all the way out. And the shirt was never, the shirt was always open, like, two or three buttons. So, choking me and it wouldn't be all, it would be all crooked. Hey, how about we just talk about Nick's school days for the next half an hour? Uh, so, I can't recognize cars like you can, but um, I had an awful lot of fun uh, not being able to tell the difference between the thousand Challenger brands that are out there now. And I did I did ask one of the guys at the Challenger event, Ray, you've got a million different kinds of Challenger now. Uh, why? And they were like, no, there's only six. And they named them all off. I I thought there was more than six. There seems to be only six. Yeah, I think, yeah. Uh, I don't know. The, the 392 is the base. Is that right? Yeah, no, the base is the base is the V6, the Pentastar V6. Oh yeah, like it was the base of the. And then the GT all-wheel drive, and then. Well, but the GT isn't an all-wheel drive anymore. Yeah, the new one isn't. The old GT was just. An yeah, so there's drive. a GT Challenger, which is it used to be the GT last year was all-wheel drive. Now they're using GT designate as the sort of performance, the V6. beginning for performance. Yeah version of the car. And then there's the just the normal Hemi with the 5.7 liter. Right. And then you go into... Scat Pack. Scat Pack with the... Well, where's the 392 come in? That's the Scat Pack is a 392. No, there's two different ones. There's a 392 and a 392 with a Scat Pack. Ooh. See, yeah, yeah. This is, this is where it starts breaking I think. Off. Yeah, because... I don't know. No, I think that's right because we have the 392 Super B, just the normal Super B, and then you have the 392 Super B Scat Pack. But the 392 is slightly different because the 392 is a stripped-down version. So 392 is the number of feet in a quarter mile, which means this is, that is the drag race, the stripped-down drag version mm. of the car. Right? I don't know. That's what he said. It's like the stripped-down... No, so that's, people the, that, that's the 1320. Remember, there's a 1320. That's the new one. Is the 1320 oh, what's Challenger? What's the 392? The 392 is the Scat Pack. That's like oh it was, no no yeah it was no. supposed to be. The I'm, track I'm thinking car. of the 1320. That's yeah. the number of feet in a quarter mile. Yeah, it was supposed to be the affordable drag car, but it ended up being an amazing track car because it's naturally aspirated V8. So everyone seemed to love it. Like, See, you no, know, like I, we've already named more than six versions. Yeah, I think they were. We didn't even get to Hellcat and Demon and Red Eye. Red Eye and all right. Um, when I, in the next break, I want to talk a little bit about this uh, because. They basically came out with a car that's almost as good as the Demon, but is, uh, where do we work it out? I thought it was $26,000 less, but it's actually like $16,000 less. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure there's some angry Demon owners right now. Yeah, though I know one. I know one angry. Alan Taylor got a Demon. Uh, he, if you don't know who Alan is, he does uh, Regis. and no, Not Regis, it's Kelly. and he's Regis. Yeah, he's like, he, it's, it's the ABC morning show. Kelly and Ryan now. Yeah, Kelly and Ryan. Ryan Seacrest. So he does that show for a week once a year, the New York Auto Show, and he got a demon. He's got a Viper, and he, he's he's a really good, big FCA guy. And every time we or anybody posts anything about how the new uh, Hellcat Red Eye is super similar to the to the demon, he puts angry faces on Facebook, <laughs> which I think is hilarious. More of our auto expert with Nick Miles is coming up. 
Tax Hour Auto Expert with Nick Miles. Welcome back to our Auto Expert. Uh, Ryan and I are talking about new Red Eye, which we have been test driving in New Hampshire and in Maine. Uh, we flew out there for a few days, or uh, we flew out here for a few days to test drive the vehicle. Uh, Ryan, so you got to drive the regular scat pack around the track in the Club Motorsports Park. How was that? Um, compared to the supercharged version, it has instant, instant, instant horsepower and torque. There is no boost lag. So See, I, I found the steering a lot lighter in the Scat Pack, a lot easier. Um, when you put your foot down, the back end doesn't try to creep forward, mm -hmm. which it does. Uh, a couple of those corners, especially the downhill corners on the track, if you're unfamiliar with the Club Motorsports Park in New Hampshire, which I'm guessing most people will be unfamiliar with that track, it's a brand new track. It's been open for a couple of years. They're still sort of going through some of the final stages of opening it, you know, building clubhouses and that, those type of things. But here's the thing that's kind of interesting about it. Uh, I I likened it to Laguna Seca. I said it was a very similar track to Laguna Seca uh, earlier in the show. Roman turned around and said, oh, you're so wrong. It's so much harder than Laguna Seca because it has huge elevations. It's basically a massive track in the side of a mountain, uh, and the elevation changes are crazy. They have horsepower hill. Like Willow Springs, how they go up to the top of the yeah, hill. Yeah, but, but it's like around, Willow Springs times 20. Going. Yeah, yeah it's going like up there. Willow Springs has that big, uh, which is just about two hours outside of Los Angeles. Willow Springs has that big uh, hill to the left turn on the main track and then the big descent down mm. the bottom of it. This is like that, but times 10. It's yeah. got like 10 more turns that go up and downhill. There, there, I think it's probably turn 15 or so coming downhill. I'm not sure of my turns. I'd have to look a map of the track right now. But that turn is really tough. So you're coming down. You come off. A, you, you turn the right-hand bend at the top of the hill. You have to get far left. And as you make that right-hand turn to hit the apex, um, you come straight down. And you're coming down at quite a speed. So and you're you coming can get straight up. through like like a right bank, too. It's not a straightaway. You're cut, you're but cut. as you get to the bottom, you turn left into the next turn, and it goes up and over a hill, and it's a short turn. So it's just a short up and over. And so the difficulty is you always go too fast down the hill. You don't. You brake too hard, and then when you hit it, I was super cautious because as you go over the crest of the hill in the next turn, you have to try and point the car straight to go over the corner. And that's the one where you have to brake at the corner because you're going downhill in a straight line. And so I had to brake really hard. And I always, the, the instructor told me I broke too hard. I broke. I braked too hard. And, uh, and it's better than the I lost a lot of the power. <laughs> broken. <laughs> and broken too hard. Uh, so he was telling me that, you know, that was, that was a dangerous thing. So driving the, uh, the uh, 797 horsepower red eye was interesting. Way too powerful for that track. I'm, in a sense, sad we didn't get to drag, drag it because drag racing it would have, well, we didn't get to drag it legally. <laughs> I have to, why, why would I whisper like people couldn't hear me on the radio? Um, we may have done a few little zero to 60 tests on the road. Um, and then plus 60 <laughs> in places where we were. Oh, I never to. did that. Did where you break we the law, Ryan? To. No, only up to the speed limit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it was very easy just you, you, sitting in that car at an intersection. And there was, there was quite a few, we'd taken quite a few what I would call B roads. 
through New, New Hampshire and Maine, but these are like really great windy roads with not a lot on them, a few houses set back from the road. And so you occasionally you come up to a major intersection where you had to cross on this B road. You had to cross a major A road. So you'd sit at the stop sign for a while and you'd be looking left and you'd be looking right at the oncoming traffic and you'd be going, okay, I'm looking for my gap. But you know the car has plenty of power, 797 horsepower. You don't need a gap. Seven, so, well, you do need somewhat of a gap, but you need a little bit of a gap, and then you'd power it across because you would take a gap in that car that was less than you might take in a Toyota Corolla, considerably less of a gap because you knew you could get in between them, but you don't want to scare the oncoming traffic. You just want to know you can make it across the road. So you'd sit there at that intersection, and you'd look left, and you'd look right, and you'd find where the right gap was, and then you go, you know, I'm going to floor it a little bit across this intersection because I want to so impress myself but impress the oncoming traffic and make a gap that you might not have judged to be safe in any other vehicle being safe in this car because it had 707 pounds-feet and 797 horsepower. So you sit at, the, sit at the stop sign, you find the gap as it comes up, and then you put your foot down, and the surprise always is, Oh, there goes the back end <laughs> suddenly across the intersection. Uh, across the intersection. A little bit of smoke, a little bit of fun. But what was even more funny about going across those, and we did it in a very safe, controlled environment, just in case anybody understands that we're, we're not hooligans. The middle of nowhere is what he means. <laughs> uh, we did it in a very safe environment, but at the same time, uh, on the road, when you look down at the road and you come up to these intersections, there was plenty of rubber. Plenty of rubber. And it wasn't road. just us. There was there were several of us. No, I said before we got there. Oh, yeah. Before yeah. we got there. And we would be driving up the road and it'd be like rubber skid marks left and right. Now I don't think it was all the people that were on our ride and drive. No, all the tire marks were different. It's yeah. just that's the Some, you could tell by and you know how you tell by uh what the car is that left the skid skid marks? Is the width of the tires being apart? And the track pattern, the width of the tires and the width apart, both of them. But in the, yes, little. yeah. So a lot of them were, I think, were probably ATVs that they left these marks with because they were quite narrow. It didn't look like any regular car, we unless all, it was like a Subaru. Or we all were saying it was like probably an old car, little skinny wheels on an old car, like yeah. an old Cadillac or something. And some of them went for um, for a long way, hundreds and hundreds of feet, like, and they were all over the road. I would have loved to have seen that happen. <laughs> Yeah, and it's probably like the you know guys out there on hunting ATVs or in in small older Subarus. Well, I guess Subarus wouldn't work because they're all wheel drive, and yeah. so it's unlikely. I'd love to see marks. a four wheeler leave skid marks too, especially that long. It's yeah, this. I wonder what it was then. It had to be like an old car because last time we went to Maine, there was that old car that came flying out of the driveway, and he was burning out all the. Yeah, there's a lot of guys that have sort of a super performance cars in uh, in New Hampshire and Maine because you have all the old roads. bootleggers. Mer uh, I don't know. Actually, thinking about it, you know, you can only get to drive those roads like that in in sort of six eight months of the year because those roads get snowed in in the winter, and the winters in Maine are harsh. Like if you've ever been into the winter in the Upper Northeast, it's tough. It's like you're wet. That's why the fishermen who are like twenty seven look like they're fifty seven because their their faces are all weathered. I mean, they get they're out in those storms, and it gets the guy in the restaurant was telling us that the weather is so bad. That they shut down for completely January they vacate, but but December, January, um, February, even the beginning of March, they just they, there's no open. They're, nobody goes out of the house. Like uh, Minnesota's you know, rule is if 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 you can walk out your front door, you have to go to work or school. That's just how it is. Uh, no, I, 
You know, I'm really glad that uh, I don't suffer that much in those temperatures. I uh, Thumbs up, you guys. Well done. Uh, I guess you get the fun of the all-wheel drive cars in the snow, which is always a bunch of fun. I'll to take drive. the rain over the snow any day. Really? Any day. No, the rain always gets a bit boring after a while. Anyway, back to uh, talking about the, uh, the red eye. Uh, so this vehicle is super powerful, can live lots of sk leave lots of skid marks. Did you notice I didn't get a big difference between a red key and a black key? Did you? There was a black key? I didn't see a black key. Yeah, but they didn't talk about the red key and the black key. Maybe they're phasing that out. That was interesting. It wasn't even mentioned. I think it's, um, I think it's pretty necessary. I'm not giving a valet person the red key. So how do you tell the difference between a, a red eye and a regular Hellcat? You just have to know. No, no there's a little jewel. A no, little yeah, there's, there's jewel. three things that are different. There's three. Three things that are different. Do you remember what they were? No, I just remember the jewel in the eye. The jewel in the eye. So you take the Hellcat symbol, and they've put what looks like a little red diamond in the eye. That's where the red eye comes from. But there's two other really significant things. Well, one's not significant because it's an option. The other one is super significant. I know there's a new spoiler. I oh, mean, come other on, that, Ryan. No. You know exactly what it is. I probably do when you say it. It's the two scoops on the hood. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, the snorkels. So the snorkels. They put <laughs> yeah. two snorkels on the hood. But looks like nostrils, know, doesn't the it? The regular Hellcat has that too. So you don't know for sure. That's no, what no, I mean no. The regular Hellcat. Uh, I don't think it does. Does it? it has yeah, the one. Yeah, the regular Hellcat has the option of the snorkel hood. Oh, that's an option. Yeah. It has to be. The other thing that the uh, the red eye has that no other car has is it has the options of those red eye wheels, and that's sort of the black. I think it's sixteen spoke wheels. I don't know. 12 I just, or 16 spoke wheels. They're beautiful. And then those orange brake calipers, you have that option. That's too. an option. That's right. Yeah. The orange brake calipers. You can get red brake calipers, but I think most people are going to go to orange because that will really define the car. Uh, Mark Trossel, who's one of the designers, I spend a little time with talking about the new red eye. What Mark talked about was, and he has a pet peeve, which I think is actually a really cool pet peeve. And I, I love to hear things from designers, like cool things that they do with cars. One of the things that he's done with a new red eye is he has uh, he wanted to make sure that when he washes his wheels, he can get his hand in every gap in the wheel. Because some some like uh, cars like BMWs, you can't actually get your hand in between all of the the uh, what am I looking for? spokes the spokes of the wheels. I guess it kind of spokes the spokes of the wheels. And so he made sure that when he designs a wheel on a car, he's the head of design. Uh, for SRT, when he designs a car, he can get his hand between all of the spokes of those cars. Well, I think that's kind of cool because, you know, everybody's hand washing. If you paid $85,000 for your car or sixty-nine or whatever you paid for, uh, you want to do that. Which brings us to the next perfect segue, Ryan, which is we were originally wrong about the price. We thought it was $26,000 um, difference for... How many, demon. how many horsepower? 11 different horsepower? Yeah. But it's actually $16,000. Yeah, it's different. So it's 69000 for the regular, for the red, for the red eye. Mm -hmm. And then uh, 84000 uh, No, 69000 for the regular Hellcat. No, no, for the red eye. For the red eye. Oh, yeah, 69000 for the regular red eye. And, and then, then eighty five thousand. Eighty four. Eighty five. Eighty five thousand yeah. for the for the demon so we got all these people that are buying them and there's there's you get it's just 11,000 horsepower different for $16,000 11 horsepower is 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 not that big of a difference people are going to be able to tell the difference right they're just going to be able to say 
My car has it. So what did they do? Uh, they deleted a lot of stuff out of the demon, but they basically took the Hellcat Y body and they took uh, took the car and then put in the demon engine um, into that vehicle. They said they put the engine, but the Hellcat already has a 6.2 liter, but it has no, a smaller but, supercharger. Yeah, so. They went from, I believe, 2.4 liter supercharger to a 2.7 liter right. supercharger. So they, they changed... They they put it, but what's in the demon? Now, for those the people that weren't familiar with the demon, I'm, you should be because this Challenger was. They made three thousand three hundred of them, and they made three thousand for the United States and three hundred for Canada. Um, they were all numbered, and if you bought one, um, you paid eighty five thousand dollars for this car that technically had eight hundred and forty horsepower, but you had to put hundred percent octane fuel into it to get a, that much horsepower out of it. When you uh, when you put regular gas in, it got 808, which is not an awful lot of difference from 797, 11 horsepower. Uh, so Ryan, what would you buy? I'd buy a normal Hellcat wide body before I even bought the red eye. Really? Because yeah. they dropped that by five thousand dollars for this buy year. It. <laughs> and what it's is it like fifty five thousand now? Yeah, and then price per horsepower. We already did that. Price per horsepower. Hellcat wins. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd buy a normal Hellcat. We drive them all the time. They're so much fun. The red eye is a blast, but I'd, that car will get somebody in trouble. How do we know? Here's my suspicion, right? How do we know how many horsepower is really in this car? Has anyone put it on a dyno? I don't know if anyone's done it yet. Um, I want to know if to find out uh, how many horsepower it is. Oh, Hennessy just got a red eye. So Hennessy Performance will have information here soon because they're making that HPE 1000 horsepower version of every just about every car they want to do. All right, so they're going to stick it on the uh, on the if by the way if you want to see some they're going to stick it on the dyno. If you want to see some of these cars, you can go to ourautoexpert.com to the website. Uh, we'll have some pictures, we'll have some stories, we'll have uh, bits and bobs, uh, video stories of those. Of course, uh, we will be back again next week with more uh, delicious information about great cars. 